kids ages three to six years old, we're going to dismiss you now for children's church. You can head that way. If you're not in that age range, don't move. You're, you're stuck here with us for at least a good, oh, 45 minutes or more, give or take a few. It was January 6th. And Nancy was two days away from achieving her dream. Although she was only 24, she had spent nearly two decades practicing, preparing, and training. Growing up in a middle-class family in Massachusetts, her goal required sacrifices from her and her family. While her dad took extra jobs, to pay for her hobby, Nancy trained constantly, waking up at 5 a.m. to practice before school, only to return to training after classes had concluded. All of this work was about to pay off. As she headed to the locker room after yet another practice, she looked up just in time to see a strange man coming towards her, wielding a metal baton. Just one swing to her right knee to send her to the floor, writhing in pain. As people rushed in just seconds later, they heard her scream in pain out over and over again, Why me? Nancy was favored in the U.S. Olympic trials, which was two days away, which would allow her to compete in the 1994 Winter Olympics later the next month. Six weeks away. She could only cry as she laid there in pain, thinking of her knee, her plans, and how her lifelong dreams were crushed. She would soon learn that a U.S. teammate and rival had a part in the attack. Ten miles. Eleven men. Twenty-five minutes on average. Racing a 72-foot sailboat in the 2013 America's Cup was supposed to be a cakewalk for the U.S. team. Their boat, the Oracle, was an unprecedented $10 million build and was hands down the most sophisticated of its kind and was touted to go at speeds of over 50 miles an hour on water without a motor. Yet 11 days into America, it was over. New Zealand had eight wins, and the Oracle had just one. It was a best of 17 series. Skipper Jimmy Spithall and the dozens of engineers, designers, and sailors couldn't figure out what went wrong and how they could lose. A good cell phone might last five years, 
And a good car might make it 20. But if houses aren't well maintained, they won't last 60 years, and most humans won't see... I said most rusty, not all. But how about 108? What lasts 108 years? For Cubs fans, losing does. Losing lasts 108 years. The Cubs had had a promising year. They were the best team in ages and arguably the best team in a century that had worn a Cubs uniform. But it wasn't to be. They needed four wins and they had just one. And the 7-2 to shellacking the night before their third loss. Their opponent, the Cleveland Indians, had got an early lead in Game 5 and was about to extend the curse of the Bambino for another year. Or possibly more. It was hopeless for the for Nancy Kerrigan. Everything came crashing down. All the hopes, all the dreams, all the plans, all of the late night talks, all of the practices, it meant nothing at the point when they knew they were going to lose. It was Friday. The sun was down. The body was buried. The hope was lost. A man who meant everything and could do anything, well, almost anything, was dead. Murdered. Executed. There were plenty of people to blame. The Romans who killed him, the Jews who trapped him, the governor who condemned him, the apostles who betrayed him, the disciples who deserted him. What do you call a follower who doesn't follow? It's true. Jesus was unfollowed before that was even a thing. People left Him. They denied Him. They cursed Him. And they ran. The soldiers bullied Jesus. The chief priests tricked Him. And the crowds turned on Him. Sure, there will be plenty of time to blame, but that won't fix anything. Point fingers if you want, but it's not going to bring Jesus back to life. He had a shot. He lost it. Or it was taken away, however you want to decide. Jesus was dead. No holding on for life. Not in a coma. Not mostly dead. Jesus was all dead. No more miracles. No more teaching. No more hope. No more heartbeat. No more life. Dead. Lifeless body dead. 
gray-skinned, pale-faced, blue lips dead, side-pierced, blood-cold, call-in-the-grave-diggers dead. I want to take an account that we have from the four different Gospels, and I want to read to you what happened in the last moments preceding Jesus' death and then what would follow after that. Jesus said, it is finished. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hand I commit my spirit. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. At that moment, at that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook and the rocks split. When a centurion and those who were with him guarding Jesus saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what had took place, they beat their breasts and they went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. Because the Jews did not want bodies left on crosses during the Sabbath, they asked Pilate to have his legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus, they found that he was already dead, and they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given his testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth and he testifies so that you also may believe. These things happen so that scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones would be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who himself was waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. With Pilate's permission, he came back and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds, taking Jesus' body. The two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. 
Joseph took the body, wrapped it in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut out of the rock. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and went away. The women who had come with Jesus from Galilee followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how his body was laid in it. Then they went home and prepared spices and perfumes, but they rested on the Sabbath in obedience to the commandment. Then the next day, the one after preparation day, the chief priest and the Pharisees went to Pilate. Sir, they said, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and still and tell the people that he has been raised from the dead. This last deception will be worse than the first. Take a guard, Pilate answered. Go and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting a guard. He was dead. Joseph noted he was dead after the soldiers had refused to break his leg, but instead pierced his side. And so he went to Pilate and said, Can I have his body? And Pilate said, Is is he really dead? And he wouldn't take Joseph's word for it. All the centurion in, the one who was there, the one who witnessed, is he really dead? Yes, he's dead. He may have caused some trouble, at least among the Jews, while he was alive. Who can do anything? have to worry about a dead body and so Joseph along with Nicodemus takes the body of Jesus we don't know the, the size of Jesus. imagine that over the last few hours of his lots of work But his body was lifeless. And after being taken off the cross, they carry him, they wrap him up, and they place him in a tomb. And they roll a stone in front of the tomb. To keep Jesus in. No one had this thought. It was animals and thieves and crazy followers from coming in and taking him out. Everybody knew it. They attested to it. There were witnesses. Jesus was dead. Not a little dead. All dead. Not coming back to life dead. He was stone-rolled dead. There it was in front where they had placed him. He wasn't coming out. 
the period is not enough. You're already on to the next paragraph. Stop. You've been there. We've all been there, haven't we? We've experienced grief on a level that can't be expressed in words. We know what it's like to lose a loved one, to get the final word, to hear the machine beep, the heartache, the shock, the confusion. Grief comes in many forms, but most of us have experienced the weeping, the wailing, the disbelief, the pleading. Shortly thereafter comes the loss of appetite, the lack of sleep, and then the nightmares that come. Waking up and thinking, maybe this was a bad dream. Maybe she's still alive. Maybe he'll walk back in that door. Don't skip the pain. Don't turn the page. Don't try to cover it up with a band-aid or gloss it over with an empty tomb because no one else did those next three days. It seems like the only people who talked about a resurrection were Jesus' opponents, fearing that someone might steal his body. But for everyone else, they lived in the pain of the crushed dreams. Let it sink in. Stop before you go to the next page. Pretend that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and He was supposed to save the world but instead he was murdered. Jesus died. Jesus was dead. It was nearly 10 years ago. We were sitting in church on a Sunday morning in Sweetwater, Texas, and Lily was about four years old, and she was not really paying attention to what was going on. She was coloring or talking to one of her friends or she was scribbling on something. And there was somebody up presiding for communion. And then she heard something she had never heard before. Or if she had heard it, it didn't really register. But as the gentleman was giving the communion thoughts, he said, Jesus was dead. And she heard that with her little ears, and that rocked her. And she immediately yelled out, Oh no, Jesus is dead? Jesus can't be dead. Jesus was the one that she sang to. 
Jesus was the one that she talked to at night in her prayers. Jesus was the one that loved all the little children of the world. She just sang a song of how Jesus loves me, this I know. And here somebody is telling her that Jesus is dead. This can't be true. And to hear it in her voice, she was heartbroken. This morning, I want you to be that four-year-old. To be the woman by the cross. To be the man who carries the lifeless body of the one who was supposed to be the anointed one. You see, that day, all hope was lost. They wept. They muttered. They complained. They cried. They questioned. And they grieved. The one who would change the world didn't. It was over, and he was dead. There's a body and a tomb and a pierced side to prove it. Everybody knew it. I know we're just a few weeks away from when we will, as a country and as a world, in some ways celebrate the birth of Jesus. But this morning, this week, I want you to be consumed with the knowledge that Jesus died. During those three days, there was nothing to sing about. Don't turn the page yet. This week, I want you to imagine life without a risen Jesus. I want you to think about what happens if it didn't happen. What if there was a tomb that still had bones in it? What if there never was a rolled stone, an angel, a proclamation, and a return? What if there's no resurrection? I want us to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, but for a little while, I want us to stay in the moment of what Jesus did when everyone thought God had failed. Jesus died. That's it. Jesus died.
Where does that leave us today? In a few minutes, we're going to sing about how he rose from the grave. But right now, and for this week, I challenge you to think about life without a risen Savior. And next week, we will turn the page and find out, could he really come back? Please join me now as we stand and sing a song of invitation.